Okay. Um, well, here we are in the first week of our sermon series entitled Asking for a Friend. Um, and what we are doing is we are uh, we asked you over the last couple of months actually to um, text or email or write in your questions that you have had about sermons, about um, about like Bible verses or topics or anything like that to hear a sermon on or to talk about more. And I shared on my Facebook Live on Thursday night some um, hesitations that I've always had about these types of series and messages. Um, I, I certainly want the, I certainly want to be able to address the issues that are really important to you and, and critical in your own life. What I don't want to do is I don't want you to be under the impression um, that, um, they, that, that I like, oh, we need to go to our pastor because he has all of the answers and he knows all the right things. And, um, while I do have ex experience both in working with people and in just my walk with the Lord, um, there, you know, I, it doesn't mean that I have all the answers and I never want to elevate my own opinion or my own preferences or my own ideas over what we believe that the Word of God communicates. So um, I've always been hesitant to do series like this because I, I, want, I want you to um, grasp onto the authority of God's Word in your life, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, rather than the authority of my opinion or my preferences. So Please know that as we, over the next five or six weeks, as we, we do this sermon series, that that is at the foundation of my heart, is that I, um, I desire that you see that God's Word has, um, has answers for you. Um, so this first week of asking for a friend is around the question, um, it is actually the question that I got the most. I got it from a few different people. Um, and that question is, well, it was, it was specific around some things, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push out the walls of that and make it a little bit more general so that we can encompass a, a bunch of different things. Right? And the, the general question was, um, can... Uh, can I be a Christian and still suffer or struggle with mental health issues? Some of the questions were focused around things like anxiety. Um, some of the questions were focused around things like depression. Um, there are other mental health issues that are wrapped up in those as well. There are mental health issues that some some people would consider to be minor. There are mental health issues that some people would consider to be major. Knowing that we can't, I can't reasonably um, address or speak to 
every single person's individual experience with mental health issues, their own struggle with them, the struggle of people that they know with them. Um, I, I, I'm choosing here for, for clarity's sake to kind of, um, kind of dilute, not dilute it, to funnel it down to maybe one um, example. So I'm going to be talking about, um, I'm going to be talking about mental health issues in the context of like, I kind of just picked one, depression today, okay? Um, but I want you to know that um, just because I am talking about depression doesn't mean that I that I think that that's the only thing that scripture addresses in terms of the mental health question or the mental health issue. Um, and I want to deal with some general things. I think it's important for us to deal with some general things about this first. And uh, some of those, one of the, the most significant general things would be is that um, we, we have to destroy some presumptions that come along with um, this topic. And I, my heart, my heart is saddened that this question came up so much um, because, because I think the underlying, the underlying issue for the reason that this question came up so much is because there has been so much, quite honestly, damage done to people um, around the area of mental health and faith that it's become a sticking point or a stumbling block or a, a, a thorn in the paw so to speak, right, of Christians who are struggling um, but who have been told you shouldn't be struggling if you are a Christian. And so uh, we, need to, we need to deal with some presumptions first that are incorrect that I think have informed the reason that this question is so prevalent for many people and that is this um, we, we need to we need to end this stigma or this this understanding that to be Christian means to be perfect that if I say that I follow Jesus Christ that I am a follower of Jesus that I have I've confessed him as my Lord. I have asked him to forgive my sins. I am walking day in and day out, seeking his, his best for my life um, um, with, uh, with my emotions, with my character, with my actions, with my thoughts, with my words, with my health, that I am, that I am, that I, that I am seeking the best, the God's best for me. Um, that that somehow being a Christian means that I'm I'm no longer uh, there will no longer be any um, any difficult emotional situations that um, 
that I'm going to have perfect life, perfect character, perfect actions, perfect thoughts, perfect words, perfect health, that once I express faith in Jesus Christ, once I get on this road of Christianity, then that automatically means that all of the things that ailed me before no longer will ail me. Listen, that is categorically 100% not true. In fact, Jesus was adamant with his, with his followers that, hey, look, you will suffer because I suffered. Because I suffered, you will suffer. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, um, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. In fact, the hope that you and I have, the hope that we talked about on Easter, this, this expectation, this patient waiting for the promise of God for better things coming, right, is, is possible because we know that right now we are sitting in the midst of a world that has been broken and marred by sin, of lives that have been broken and marred by sin. But the hope that we have, the, the faith that we have, the trust that we have, is that in Jesus Christ, the brokenness that may now exist will not exist forever. That Christ has overcome. Christ has overcome every shred of brokenness, even down to the brokenness of death. He has defeated death. He has defeated the grave. And so that whatever level of brokenness we may be experiencing, that, that God has overcome that in Jesus Christ. And that we are, in the, we are in the waiting room of heaven's glory. We are in the waiting room of heaven's healing. Right? But healing, full healing, full perfection, full wholeness, full health, comes not before that time, right? And that's the, that's the, the tension that we, that we live in. That's the thing that draws us into eternity, that keeps our eyes focused on eternity, but also keeps us rooted here so that we are not so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, but that, our, that we, we, we maintain earthly-like earthly mission, earthly service, earthly comfort and encouragement to those who are afflicted or to those who are hurt, to those who are suffering with our eyes forward towards eternity knowing that there is coming a time where all things will be made new, that there will be no more mourning or sadness, no more tears or brokenness, no more pain or disease or death, but when Jesus comes and makes things all new. So when we ask the question, even, can I be a Christian and still have mental health issues? 
right? I think that that question comes with the presumption that if I have difficulty in this life and that that difficulty is mental health, for instance, that I may, that for some reason, like I've been disqualified as being a follower of Jesus, as being a Christian. But look at, listen, when we talk about what it means to be a Christian, we're not talking about a, a, a absolute perfection of health, perfection of mental, emotional wellness, perfection of thought, action, word, deed, life, everything. What we're talking about is a, a person, right? When we strip everything else away, we would have to ask the question, what is a Christian? What makes a person Christian or not, right? The, the best example is always the ones that are closest to Jesus, right? Go back to the New Testament and look and, well, would you say that Peter was a Christian? That uh, James and John were Christians? Um, that Thomas, who we talked about last week, Downing Thomas, was a Christian? Well, they didn't really know even, they didn't even have that term then, right? Um, that the, the term Christian came came about much later in church history, right? They didn't have a term Christian in the time of Jesus or immediately following the time of Jesus. So how did they, how did they categorize who they were? Well, they simply were followers of Jesus. What makes you, what make, what made Peter a Christian? What made Thomas a Christian? He followed Christ. He, he was discipled by Jesus. He, he followed a, he followed Jesus. Not he was perfect in every way. Not he had no doubts. Not he had no questions. Not that he was perfectly healthy, was perfect in action. Certainly Peter, Thomas, right? Not perfect. Or, or words. How many times did Jesus chastise the disciples for wrong thinking or wrong, like when Peter would say something dumb, right? Jesus would have to correct that, right? See, all even the earliest heroes and followers of Jesus, we would all consider to be Christians, but certainly did not have it, this aura of perfection around them. Now, I, so the, I want to be clear about what I'm saying here, that, the, that, that I think that these types of questions, like, do I have to, like, if I have a mental health illness or a mental health diagnosis, does that mean I'm not a Christian or my faith isn't strong enough or that there's something wrong with my, my, my belief or my faith? I want to say categorically, 100%, from the beginning to the end, absolutely not. No. And it may be as much an issue of what we believe a Christian is, what we believe a Christian should look like, what we believe a Christian should do or not do or experience or not experience as it is about mental health. Okay? And I want to destroy the presumption that there is one way for a Christian to act, that there is one way for a Christian to look like, there is one way for a Christian to be healthy or to experience life. Because 
the earliest of Christians knew one category or one description for their Christianity, and that was, man, I'm following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I'm, I'm earnestly and genuinely following Jesus. And if you earnestly and genuinely follow Jesus, right, uh, he will make you into the person that you need to be. Period. Um, that's my first presumption, all right? That's a long, that was a long intro. Um, second is this. Um, I am not, I would not consider myself an expert on many things, uh, honestly. Maybe um, some would consider me an expert on, um, on the Bible, right? I have a couple degrees. I've studied it for the majority of my adult life. Um, it's, you know, my profession, you know. Um, I don't consider myself an expert, but some may, right? Maybe you, I could consider myself an expert in, I have a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And usually the, the black belt is considered the unofficial, unofficially official expert in a martial art. So maybe I'm a, an expert in that. I don't think I am, but you get the point. One thing I will say that I feel like I have some expert qualifications on is um, mental health struggles. Uh, I don't know as if I've shared this before from the pulpit or from the couch or in a sermon or whatever, but I have, I have struggled with clinical depression my entire adult life. I remember the first time that I really felt and understood that, you know what, this is not just a normal feeling, that there is like something going on in my body and like something going on in my mind that I can't control just by being happy, just by choosing to be joyful. And I'm comfortable in saying, well, I'm sort of comfortable in saying, a little, um, little hesitant, but I'm gonna do it, right? Um, in saying that for my entire adult life, from about the time I was like 17 or 18 till now, and I'm 30, how old am I? 37, I'm 37. Um, so more than half of my life, I have been on medication for moderate to, low, I don't even know, moderate depression. I take a pill every day, it helps, um, to um, moderate my um, moderate the chemicals in my brain to help balance the scales of how my how I process things, how I walk through life. So I want you to know that I speak from a place of personal experience, personal understanding, about the struggle of mental health issues. And that if you find any encouragement in the fact that your 
pastor is um, also experiencing these same type of things, then, then please take that encouragement. Allow that to... Um, Allow that to give you permission to take a, a deep breath, right? A deep breath of saying, um, I will come out and say, I have struggled with mental illness my entire life. And maybe you would say, well, that's not mental illness and that's not a real thing. And that's, you know, you just, if you just pray harder, um, believe more, change your lifestyle, you, 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 know, you would be better. And I'm fine with anyone not understanding that. Okay? Um, but for those of you who need that brotherhood, need that companionship, need that encouragement this morning, please know that you have it from me personally. But I also believe that you have it from the Word of God, from God Himself, um, and what we're going to see—what I'm, what I'm, what I'm going to attempt to show you this morning—is that while there are presumptions that we need to dispel about what it means to be a Christian and what it doesn't mean to be a Christian, um, that um, my opinion, both from being an expert on church or church life and being an expert in um, experiencing mental health issues. My opinion is that, um, is that the church can do better. We can do better. Um, and I'm, I'm going to share that with you this morning. Okay, So know that I, um, like I said, because... Because of the vast array of categories and qualifications and nuances about mental health and whatever, that we could take this in a kind of a hundred different directions. I'm going to keep it relatively broad this morning, and then um, we will. Um, and then what what I'm committing to is that uh, I think most of you know that on Thursday nights at 7:30. We'll do a Facebook Live um, kind of devotional catch-up talk. And throughout this series, all of those Thursday night Facebook Lives will be to extend the conversation a little bit further from what we dealt with on Sunday, whatever that topic may be, um, because there's always going to be things that I just can't get to. And there's definitely things that I can't get to this week on this topic. And so on Thursday, we're going to be talking maybe a little bit more practically about my experience with um, depression and um, my, my journey, um, how I deal with it, how I don't deal with it sometimes, uh, my experience on medication and whether or not that's a good idea for Christians or not or whatever, which I think is kind of a crazy idea anyway. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so Thursday, if you want to engage in that conversation, hop on the Facebook Live on Conduit's Facebook pages um, Thursday evening at uh, 7.30. And certainly, if you want to send me messages through Facebook or email, Cameron at Conduit Ministries 
www.tech-tips.com or text or whatever and talk maybe a little bit more specifically. Uh, I'm happy to do that with you. Um, the idea that uh, depression, and I'm, like I said, I'm gonna be talking about depression because it's easy for me to talk about that. The idea that depression or really me any mental health diagnosis or um, or issue is somehow foreign to the life of the person that calls that is a Christian or that um, is seeking to live a faithful or godly life is um, not found in Scripture at all. In fact, um, there are just tons and tons of people within Scripture that we see um, suffered specifically from either periods or um, either like incidences or prolonged like lifestyles of just being depressed, like really struggling mentally. Now, you won't find the word depressed in Scripture anywhere, but you will find words that are like basically the same thing that I would have described in my own um, my own struggle, right, as being, yeah, that's, yeah, same thing, depression or um, these words in Scripture, the word downcast. My soul is downcast. Uh, the word brokenhearted from Psalms, right? Troubled. Miserable. Um, here's one. Despairing. Mourning. These are all words that are really closely linked with this idea of being depressed or being downcast or being despairing or mourning or miserable or broken hearted. I'm going to share with you a few of these kind of pivotal um, characters in scripture. Um, the prophet Jeremiah, who is often known by the unofficial moniker as the weeping prophet. He is the, uh, the author of the whole book of Lamentations, which is a whole book in our scripture of like um, lamenting his condition to God, how his soul is so downcast, how, how he, he regrets the day he was even born, Jeremiah says. In Jeremiah chapter uh, 20, verse 14, he says, Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Down to verse 18. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Jeremiah was just undone by his life the task that God had given him, the kind of the lot that God have get, had given him. He was made the laughing stock of the people of Israel because he was trying to warn them about what God was seeking to do in their lives and they would just completely like cast him aside and he felt like God had abandoned him and he felt like, God, why... Why even give me this job? Why, why afflict me like this? If there's going to be, if I'm like never going to see the fruit that comes from my life. Like God, I wish, like 
in terms of my heart, Lord, I feel like it probably would have been better if I just was never born. That if I just never even came out of my mother's womb, why do I have to live my days in constant sorrow and shame? And out of this experience, and not just like an isolated experience, but a whole life of experience that Jeremiah had, he wrote the book of Lamentations, which was all about this heart cry of just tra tragedy and sorrow and shame and despair. Um, David, perhaps um, one of the most prolific people in the Old Testament, a, a man that was um, held up as the, the, the man after God's own heart, wrote um, tons and tons of the Psalms based on out of his pain, out of his grief, out of his sorrow at what was what his life had become and who he was. Psalm chapter 38, David says, my guilt, it has, it has overwhelmed me. I'm, I'm overwhelmed with, get, with guilt. It has been a, like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. Over to Psalm 42, he, um, David says this, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hey, soul, why are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? That, that, that David, like, in a, in a period of, like, confession, was, like, speaking to himself, Why, soul, are you so downcast? Why? Why, the, why am I so disturbed within myself? I think many of you know the story of Job. It's kind of a, not even just a good biblical story, but a pop culture story of Job who had, who had everything in life, was rich, right? Had a beautiful family, um, had many possessions, and then um, out of like extreme tragedy, his life began to just unravel. And he... And he says this in, in, in chapter 3, verse 26 of Job. He says, I have no peace. I have no quietness. I have no rest. But only turmoil. No peace. No quietness. No rest. Only turmoil. Later on in... In the, um, in the book of Job, he says these things. Uh, he says this in Job chapter 10, verse 1. I loathe my very life. I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and I will speak out in the bitterness of my soul. He, the bitterness of his soul was so overwhelming, right? That it manifested itself. I'm going to give free reign to my... I loathe my life. 
what is going on with me. Unless you think that, well, yeah, all of these Old Testament people, they, they didn't have Jesus, and if they just had Jesus, they would have, Jesus would have healed them, and Jesus would have brought, um, you know, peace into their lives, and maybe true, but maybe not, because Jesus himself experienced significant, significant moments of despair, significant moments of um, pain, significant moments of a downcast spirit. In Mark chapter um, 14, Jesus, upon being, uh, or just before he was arrested, knowing what was coming, he said, uh, he said this, he took uh, Mark chapter 14, um, verse 33 and 34, he took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And then he said this to his disciples in verse 34. Imagine, imagine if I, if I just pulled Ellen aside right now and said, Ellen, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is Jesus talking. He was overwhelmed, his soul overwhelmed with sorrow. This is not a circumstantial thing, right? This is not a just a, always having a bad day. This was a, this was a deep soul hurt, a deep soul grief, a deep soul overwhelming feeling to the point of death, he said. In another gospel, uh, the gospel of Luke, Luke records this really interesting thing um, that not the, the other gospels don't record, but he says this in Luke 22, 44, Um, an angel of heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, speaking of Jesus, in verse 44, and being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. We've heard this example of Jesus being, um, being so in anguish that he sweat literal drops of blood and and they go, well, that's just a, you know, a, a way of saying that he was really stressed out. <laughs> yeah, certainly it is a way of saying that he was really stressed out and really anxious. But this is an actual medical condition. If you didn't know, I, I'm not a doctor, but I play one sometimes on TV. And so I Googled it and it's um, actually called hematohydrosis. Google it. Hematotridosis. And it is an actual medical condition where the, the emotional, like the stress upon a person's body, the, um, the toll upon a person's body can actually 
lead to the excretion of blood out of their skin. Sweating drops of blood at the deep, overwhelming burden, stress, anguish, and pain that was, that was being communicated here. What does all this mean? Well, um, it certainly can mean a few things. What I think is important first for us to understand is that there is no lack of biblical heroes that struggled with a deep sense of anguish, burden, downcast soul, and despair. I don't know if it encourages you, but it encourages me to know that even these people who we would consider to be exceptionally close in their relationship with God, still went through extended periods of like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. I don't, I can't do this. My soul is downcast. I'm like despairing of grief. Even to, Jesus says, even to the point of death. Come on now, people. Here is, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. When the question came through, or when several questions came through, it was stated like this. Can I have a mental health diagnosis and still be a Christian? Or um, does the fact that I struggle with this mental health diagnosis mean that I don't have enough faith? That's the, you know, questions like that. I don't think that's really the question that we need to answer this morning. Hear me out. Because I think scripture is abundantly clear. And I think in most normal cases, people having no other experience with any other Christian person ever in their life, if they were just having a conversation with God, wouldn't even ask the question because they, because the Spirit of God would testify to the love of God for them no matter what they were experiencing inwardly. I think the real question here this morning is what likely well-meaning but empathically tone-deaf person told you that because you were suffering, that you didn't have enough faith? That's the real question. What person, who, or what people, or what church, or what blog, or podcast, or book did you read 
that told you be, that because you were suffering, that somehow your faith was lacking, or that, or that God was further away from you than he was from someone that didn't struggle with those things? I think that's the real question. You see, folks, I don't think this is a question of determining whether or not Scripture um, seems to allude to the fact that if you just had more faith, God would heal you. I think what the real issue here is um, is that you and I, the church, maybe well-meaning Christians here and there who wanted to encourage but didn't know what to say, who had been, um, who have been uh, misled about what the Bible says and doesn't say, have told you somewhere along the way that if you, you know, if you wanted to be healed from depression, you just need to believe more. You need to have more faith. You just need to pray. The reason, the reason that you're struggling with depression is because you just you need to pray more. Or, you know, um, you really just need to, like, you really just need to be happy. Just choose. Just get up in the morning and, and, and choose to be happy. Just, just choose to be better. It's like telling a person who is who has a bullet wound, hey, just stop bleeding, okay? If you want to be better, just stop bleeding. Um, don't seek professional help. Don't understand that you have a, a hole that is spurting out blood. Just decide to stop bleeding. It's not scripture. It's not God. That, is, that says to us, if you just had more faith, you would be healed. It's people. It's the church. It's society. And we must, as followers of Jesus, who take the word at face value and, like, and see within it the reality of, and the authenticity and the rawness of biblical heroes' own struggle with mental health, we must reject the attitude that it's because of a lack of faith and replace the stigma of mental illness with open environments that promote true encouragement, support, Empathy and prayer for people in the midst of their suffering. Because mental illness is a person suffering. It is a person um, fighting against their own emotions, against their own thoughts, against their own feelings of worthlessness or fear or confusion or anxiety or darkness or 
brokenness or depression. And my perspective is that is that the church the got the uh, we we use the term gospel community here the community of those who have trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and to to move us into Christ likeness the church has a tremendous opportunity to become a, a healing salve over the mental and emotional suffering of people all around us. But if we consistently and constantly deride people with the idea that, it, well, if you just had a little faith, you would be healed. That's an attitude that just heaps shame on people that are already suffering. Oh, what, you're telling me that you, you're already suffering and you're, you're already hurting and you're already confused and you're already despairing and you're already brokenhearted? Well, you know, if you just had more faith, you would be healed. Does that, that's just more shame, right? That's just like more, condom, that's just more, hey, you're not getting it right. Hey, you're not doing it right. Hey, you're lacking here. You're lacking this. And we, we, we may say, well, no, that's just the loving response. Don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. It's not. What does God do in the midst of a person's suffering? If we can all agree that a person experiencing a significant mental health issue or crisis or ongoing ongoing hurt is a person who is suffering what does God do for the person that is suffering uh, scripture is replete with these examples of what as well I'm thinking of uh, places like Psalm chapter 34 verse 18 the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 147, verse 3. He, God, heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I'm getting goosebumps, church. When people are suffering, when people are brokenhearted, God does not move away. God moves closer. God, God, God moves, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. God moves closer to those who are suffering. God moves closer to those who are brokenhearted. And it says he, he actively works to bind and heal their wounds. Their suffering, their despair, their brokenheartedness, their pain, their agony, their mourning. God moves close to those people. He, he puts the proverbial arm around them, both arms around them, and he 
brings them in tight and he binds up those things that are hurting them. He, he does not alienate them. He does not exhort them. He does not admonish them about their lack of faith. He doesn't even teach them that, oh, you just need to believe like this or do like this. He simply, in the moment of their suffering, chooses to bring them the comfort of his presence. And church, may we, as the incarnate body of Christ, the manifestation of God's glory on the earth, the, the conduit of his blessing, may we be a people who does not react in the face of, per, of a person's mental illness or suffering as well. We just need to admonish them to have more faith. We just need to teach them that they need to trust in the Lord. We just need to eh, back off because they're a little weird and we don't know how to deal with them. But in fact, we need to move closer to them. We need to take a step towards them. We need to provide them with the binding salve of wounds that brings healing and comfort. That is where we should place our focus. As being a people who brings the healing, comfort, and presence of God on people who are suffering, on people who are mourning and despairing and brokenhearted, not give them over-spiritualized platitudes like, well, you just need to have more faith. There is this looming question that comes with mental illness, uh, really of any kind. Well, is mental illness, is it, a, is it a physical issue or is it a spiritual issue? I think the answer to that question is yes. It is. You see, we are tempted to say, well, no, like it, it's either physical or spiritual. It can't possibly be both. Well, we are not compartmentalized human beings, okay? God, God created us as whole beings. Spirit, soul, mind, heart, body, right? All of those things like linked together make us who we are. Is it a spiritual thing or is it a physical thing? Yes, it is. Would we say to someone who has cancer, is that a spiritual thing or is that a physical thing? So why would we say to someone who has a mental illness, well, is it a physical thing you're dealing with or is it a spiritual thing you're dealing with? It's both. See, making it only a spiritual issue is, in my opinion and experience, an avoidance measure. A, a non-response that shows a cavernous lack of empathy for the suffering that a person is feeling, but that you just can't see. See, at our Worst moments, brothers and sisters, we can tell a person that is suffering from mental illness that they simply don't have enough faith. Or that if they did this or did that, that they would be better. 
But at our best moments, church, at our most loving moments, at our most empathic moments, we provide for people a living manifestation of the comfort of God in the body of Christ. We gather around a person in prayer for their healing. Does this mean we shouldn't pray for healing for a person with mental illness? Of course not. The Bible, the Bible tells us that we are to, as a church, to gather around people who are suffering, who are hurting, and pray for their healing, lay our hands on them. But what, what does that mean? It means that that person must feel like those that they're going to be asking for prayer will provide a safe environment, a loving environment, a encouraging and comforting environment for them to disclose this inner struggle and battle that they're having with depression or anxiety or schizophrenia or an eating disorder or, or whatever the case may be, right? That they may, that they may feel like, oh, this, this is a group of people who is not just going to tell me I need to have more faith and this will be better, but they're, they're earnestly concerned about encouraging me and comforting me and praying for me in the midst of this, that, that we must provide that environment for people so that we can ke- then come into the, the biblical role of laying hands on people and praying for their healing, their absolute healing. We must, at our best, we can provide comfort and encouragement for people when they're suffering and arm around them a a conversation, a cup of coffee, our own personal experience with struggle as a means of comfort. Paul wrote uh, to the Corinthians in his, his second letter to the Corinthians, he says that um, he says this in verse one, First Corinthians um, chapter one. He says, "Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble." with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. That God has comforted us in Jesus and that the comfort that we have received from God in Jesus Christ can overflow and become a comfort for others in the midst of their despair and brokenness. And at our best church, we have that opportunity to offer others the comfort of Jesus Christ. At our best, we have the ability to listen to someone's story of struggle, to hear the person's heart for what it says. 
not to hear their story simply so we know how to respond, not to hear their story so we know, uh, so that we can offer advice on how to fix what they're going through, but simply to let their story live, to be what it is. A friend of mine once said this, and I'll never forget it. Um, he said, we can literally hear someone into existence. Just by listening to a person's story, by opening our ears and opening our hearts and fixing our eyes and leaning in, as they tell their story, when they find a safe place for the struggle and the burden and the confusion and the anger and the anguish of their heart and their soul, speaking that story out into existence and allowing it to find the fertile ground of a comforting presence. It, it lifts a person's soul up from a place of isolation and loneliness to now, I have a brother. I have a sister. I have someone who, who knows me who hears me, who understands me, who I trust. That is a catalyst for unbelievable change in a person's life. I want to leave you, I want to leave you with this quote. That's, uh, I don't know who she is. <laughs> Wish I did. Her name is Catherine Butler. Uh, she said this, fellow churchgoers, hold the power to either fan the flame of condemnation or to snuff it out. Our words matter. With them, we may trample the downtrodden for the glory of our own lofty opinions. Or we may choose to embrace those who are suffering with open arms and open hearts and in so doing embody the love of God in Jesus Christ. Church, I pray that we would get to the heart of the question, can I be a Christian and still have mental health issues? That's not really the question. The question is, why has the church allowed that to be a question at all? Why has the church allowed the stigma of a person's silent suffering become something that is so drastically and radically affected their belief in whether or not they can follow Jesus. And we have an opportunity 
to right that wrong. We can't right every wrong instantaneously or immediately, but we can right the wrong here by creating an open, honest environment of comfort, empathy, and understanding so that we may earn the right to lay our hands on people and to pray for their healing, which I believe by faith God will bring in this life and the next. I understand that there are significant mental health struggles that people are dealing with that I may not have in, I may not have mentioned, I have no idea about. I totally understand that. What I want you to hear above all else is that the God of all comfort draws close to you in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your despair, in the midst of your brokenness and is actively working to bind up those wounds. If you would trust us, if you would trust me enough to share your story, I commit to you to receiving that with open arms, not flanning, fanning the flame of condemnation that you have already felt, but snuffing that condemnation out and allowing the comfort that God has given to me, has given to us, to overflow to you as we pray for your healing. Let me pray for us now, Conduit, as we close. Heavenly Father, you have given us your Holy Spirit. And when Jesus left the earth, he said, I'm sending a helper to you, a counselor, a comforter, one that will be not just alongside of you, but in you, and will, will reveal the truth of, the, of God's word to you, and will convict you of sin, and will, uh, will bring about revival in the world. And Lord, we pray, that now more than ever, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be alive in us. That your Holy Spirit would bring comfort to us. That your Holy Spirit would convict us of sin. That your Holy Spirit would, would bring the truth of your word deep into our hearts, Lord. And that we may find truth for life in ways that we've never found before. Lord, I pray for all those who are suffering, who are hurting, Lord, I pray that you would bring them, Father, the comfort that you have promised. Lord, I pray that they would find in your church a safe place to be. A safe place to be honest about their struggles. A safe place to be honest about their pain. A safe place to be honest about their despairing, no matter how despairing it may be. And that, Lord, we may receive them with open arms. 
with the empathy and comfort that comes first and foremost from you, Lord. Lord, and that by faith we may pray in earnest expectation over them for your healing. In Jesus' name, amen.